According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. But before we begin, I'm excited to announce two big events coming to Oklahoma City as we celebrate 10 years of Hope is Alive. The first event will be August 8th, Celebration of Hope. This event will feature personal testimonies from graduates and family members of the Hope is Alive programs, live paintings, a custom set from Christian recording artist Ben Fuller, and an inspiring message from Heisman Trophy winner Tim Tebow, and a few other surprises. You can buy tickets or sponsor a table at hia10.com, hia10.com. The second event will be on August 11th, Night of Hope. This is one of my favorite events that we host. This event is a -a one-of-a-kind free concert experience aiming to bring hope and healing to Oklahoma City. If you are hurting, broken, or addicted, you cannot miss this incredible night of worship with Josh Baldwin and special guest speaker Tim Tebow. This event is free, so you can get your free tickets today at www.nightofhopeokc.com. And we'll make sure all of that is linked in our show notes today. But let's get started. On this episode, we get to hear a personal testimony from one of my newest Finding Hope leaders from Alito, Texas, which is right outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I'm so excited to have Kim with us today. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good day. Good. Welcome to Oklahoma. Thank you. <laughs> it's probably just as hot, or is it as hot? It's it it's hot, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's been really hot at home. Yeah. So, and actually, Kim, I would want to say, um, I'm excited to have her on. I'm, you know, I talked to her quite a bit, you know, getting her trained up, getting her Finding Hope started down there. And then she came to our retreat. And I'll never forget one of the first things she says, like, I've listened to your voice. I never got to see you in person. And so she is one of our biggest fans of the podcast and the Hope is Alive podcast and is always sharing, encouraging people to seek help in recovery and to find the hope. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, though? Okay. So I've been married 25 years. Wow. And I have two boys. Um, Jake just graduated from Texas Tech. And Joshua is 20, and he lives in the DFW HIA house. Okay. Very good. And you guys, have you been in Texas your whole life? Um, No, I moved there in 1984 when I was in high school, and um, my husband's from there. 
but okay. I pretty much Texan at this point. Okay, that's what I said when I moved to Oklahoma. I was like, I guess I'm an Oki. <laughs> like, what's that? All right. So um, let's just get into it. Um, you mentioned your son was in our, one of our Hope is Alive homes down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So do you kind of want to talk about that journey and how addictions impacted you? Kind of our first little dabble into even knowing that he was doing any drugs was in high school. Um, we found some stuff, uh, a dab pen, and had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, found out what it was, and then, you know, he was grounded forever and all that and just figured it was gone. And um, we've obviously found out since then it was not gone. And um, just he had a really rough junior year was COVID. Senior mm-hmm. year was, please, Lord, let him graduate, even though he's, you know, super smart kid. He just struggled in school. And it was all those classic signs of he's not going to class. He's not doing something. But, it, you know, I, I don't. I just was really naive. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think it was drugs. I mean, why would you, though, right? Yeah. You know, grew up in a Christian home, right? right? You know, very involved, great parents, great family. I don't know. We just, it just never dawned on us. And, you know, we thought, oh, he's depressed. He's, we tried counseling, and he likes to remind me of that all the time. That, <laughs> that was funny. Um, but, um, so we did, we knew something was wrong, but mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going on. Um, so he graduated in 2021, and he um, was going to go off to Texas Tech with his brother. We were hesitant, but, you know, Alito is it's, it's a great town, mm-hmm. um, and there is somewhat of an expectation that you're going to leave the high school and go to a four-year college. It's mm-hmm. just how it is. Will I say that probably there was a little pride in that? Absolutely. Like, okay, my other son, he's going to a four-year school, so Josh is going to do that also. And we never doubted that our kids would go to college, that we just assumed um, we sent him off to tech and just prayed that everything would be okay. And it was pretty obvious from the beginning that he was not doing what he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so we chalked that up to he's an 18 year old freshman in college, mm-hmm. um, dropped classes, you know, bad grades, blah, blah, blah. Um, just some stuff. We knew he was going out a lot and, and a little partying going on. And, and again, He's a freshman in college. We'll see what happens. Um, and um, a few mom instinct things happened throughout the year. There was one time where I couldn't get a hold of him during, uh, it was in December, it, for pro- about 36 hours. And I, it yeah. showed he hadn't left his dorm room. And I'm like, well, you have to at least eat. You don't have enough food. So that was a weird thing. And then it was while well, I was sick, while well, I was whatever. We found out later he had actually overdosed mm-hmm. in his dorm room. Um and thankfully, you know, survived, obviously. Um, and we would find out later that happened a couple more times in the spring that he would overdose. So did someone find him? Well, I actually sent his brother. I called his brother and was like, I need you to go check on Josh. He's not answering my text. And he's real. He and I are very close. We always have been, which is kind of funny considering I had no idea that he had this whole other life. Um, and I sent his brother over. And he's like, oh, he was, um, he was just asleep, mom. And I'm like, two days? Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I think there was, brother was trying to keep him from getting in trouble. And, you know, we've since had conversations with both of them. Like, you know, there's a line. Yes, there's your brothers and you love each other and you want to protect each other. But when it comes to your health and safety, there should have been someone else involved. So that was something we kind of had to get past once we found mm-hmm. out. Because there was, I will be honest, there was a little bit of hurt feelings I guess is the best way to say it with our older son like why would you not tell us this was happening Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if he just wanted to pretend like it that's 
this wasn't really happening because it's his little brother. So fast forward to spring, um, and we had pretty much decided he's not going back to school in the fall because he's the grades were bad. He was skipping class. Um, so we decided to tell him this, and we asked him to come home right after spring break. And he he came home, and he um, we said, well, we want to talk to you. And Dad and I were on the same page about what we were going to tell him. And he said, well, I want to talk to you first. And we were like, oh, goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> any other time that he had said, I need to tell you something, it was never a great thing. Um, and that yeah. was that is where some of the – we found out he was using and, and doing some different things. Because during COVID when he was home – that's when we found out there, there was more going on. Um, so we sat down and he said, I have a problem with drugs. And we were just, I mean, you could have picked our jaws up off the floor. Um, and we're like, what, what exactly do you mean? He goes, I mean, I can't handle the freedom that college has because all I'm doing is getting high. Well, and I'm thinking he's smoking pot, Yeah. which again, you know, not great. Um, and he's like, no, it's fentanyl. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Even I know that's horrible. Um, you know, because I've got just, you know, you have that list of drugs, and they progressively get worse down to mm-hmm. whatever. Um, even though I have actual, you know, don't have a whole lot of knowledge of it, or I didn't at that time. And But I knew fentanyl was like big no-no. And we were like, what? Are you, what are you telling? And this was a Saturday night. And so I um, have a way of when something like this happens, it's like I have to shut off the emotional side and I turn into, okay, now we're going to start planning what's happening next. So I started calling friends from church Mm -hmm. um, and some other close friends of ours who had a background in recovery. And I was like, what the heck? What do we do with this kid? Because how old is he? Is he 19 now or still 18? No, he was still 18. He hadn't turned 19 yet. He was about three weeks away. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, he was only 18. And he had asked us for, he said, I need your help. Mm-hmm. Those were his words to us. And we were like, what do you want us to do, honey? We, you know, we had no idea what to do. So, um, we, like I said, we called friends. And two different people that didn't even know each other both recommended Stonegate mm-hmm. Treatment Center down in Texas. And it's actually like 15 minutes from our house. Like okay. uh, wow. it's a place that I passed for years mm-hmm. driving, driving to school when the boys were little, we drove past it together. Um, and I had no idea it was even there. So we called and they were wonderful and they're like, yes. So that was Saturday night. We talked to them on Sunday and Monday we dropped him off. Wow. And, um, this was the beginning of the most incredible journey that God has taken us on because, I can go back to even that first night him telling us and and just see how God worked out every tiny step of this last 14 months. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the first day that he walked into Stonegate was the same day that the HIA house opened in DFW. Wow. You know, just little things like that. I kind of collect those in my brain as mm-hmm. little little God winks or something. Well, and we talk about a lot. I was just at a meeting last night where I brought this up again that God closes. We have to allow God to close the doors because he will open the right doors. And if we're closing them too fast for our loved ones, the right door might not be open. And the, I mean, it sounds like God was closing doors for your son and opening them at, in his timing. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, because like I said, we, 
the thought of having to withdraw our child from college and him losing a whole semester, which there wasn't a lot of work there to be lost, honestly. (laughs) It was just more financially. Um, But yeah, that, you know, you have, there's, we, we've learned a lot about um, our pride and our expectations and what we think has to happen with our kids. And I'd watched friends go through that with some different situations and, you know, kind of walked through that with them and, and, we prayed about it. And so I wasn't completely just like, I kind of had an idea of how to handle it, but it was still very difficult. Like I yeah. said, we just assumed Josh had always been a great student until the last two years of high school, pretty much. Or, and you know, and then it's like all of a sudden, Oh, we're having to withdraw you. And you're, I, it just was a crazy. And I think that's real interesting because I hear a lot like good, good, good. And all of a sudden there's a shift. And, you know, sometimes parents always ask, like, okay, are they or are they not? Like, what are the signs? And, you know, in that time, it was COVID, and everybody didn't know what was going on, it sounds like. Like, okay, is this because of COVID? Is he depressed? You know, all of that sounds like was what you guys were trying to figure out, and that's what we do. It sounds like you go in fix-it mode, is, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's that shift. And that sometimes can be something that we need to pay attention to more and not always make the excuses. Right. Like, you know, COVID probably played, a, probably impacted that, right? Played a part in it. But then there's other kids doing okay right. through it. People ask, are they addicted? I'm like, I don't know. you got to look at the different signs. And that's one of them is that shift, change in friendships, change in um, grades, change all the changes that you're starting to sh- see. Okay, so he went to Stonegate. Mm-hmm. Like I said, our experience with treatment recovery was um, what we learned while he was at Stonegate. Um, and it, it, they had some, they have changed their um, procedures a lot because we have some other people I know that, it, that have had people go through at this point, like a year later. And so there was no visitation. We didn't even speak with him for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I don't know how other treatment centers, because this is our only one we've ever dealt with, but um, that was really hard when it's your, you know, 18 year old kid and you drop him off and that was a very difficult day dropping him off and knowing we wouldn't even hear his voice for three weeks. Um, and then, then we got like one phone call a week for about 15 minutes and, um, they were great phone calls. You know, it was positive. He, um, had a way of making everything sound. It was great. I'm doing great. But also we would hear from, um, like a counselor or something, not his counselor, but you know, they, they have a person who calls you like that, that just, the connection is there so we could hear how he's doing. And um, that person always kind of told us what they were seeing. And um, a lot of Josh's personality came out. He did not think he should be there. He didn't know why we sent him. And um, we did, I wrote him letter every day. Mm-hmm. And um, and he wrote back, we got a couple of letters from him. And um, I remember him asking, like saying, I'm not sure why I'm here. Um, cause I asked you for help. I didn't want them to help me. And I was like, this is us helping you, honey. We, we didn't know what that's to do. It. I mean, that's a good point. Like yeah. coming to you for help and you're, and he, I, you know, I have never heard that, like, right. but I asked you for help, you know? And it's like, you are, and it's like, they, he almost had to work through that, that, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I'm mad at mom now because she's not helping me. Like she said she would, but she really is. And that, and that was something, you know, there's a guilt, for I think for parents that are having to drop their kids off because we instantly went into the mode like you were saying like what did we do wrong mm-hmm. and 
thankfully through finding hope and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just talking to other people that have been through it, we have learned it is not our fault. And even Josh has gotten to the point where he's like, mom, you didn't, you and dad didn't do anything. Oh, that's this huge. was, this was my decision, you know? Um, and, and we joke about it sometimes. I'm like, you know, cause he jokes about how he played baseball when he was little because I really loved for him to play baseball and he didn't really love it. I was like, Oh gosh, is that why everything happened? And he's mm. like, yes, mom, that is exactly, you know, he was <laughs> but it's, you know, so we have a really weird sense of humor in our family, but, um, so he, he, he was there for six weeks and when he got done, we would thought he'd be just fixed mm. and he'd just come home. Um, and we had a list of rules that he was going to have to follow. And when he heard them, he was not happy. Um, and they started talking to us about sober living. And we were like, the heck is sober living? Mm-hmm. Like, I had no idea. I was in the same boat. I, I was like, he can go somewhere after treatment? What's that? Yeah. It was, I mean, and so Stonegate has a place. Um, and so we were like, well, I guess we like Stonegate. And so maybe that's the, and then the next week we got the phone call from the person at Stonegate to talk to us about transitioning him. Mm-hmm. And, um, at this point, Josh had decided he just wanted to stay there for like another 15 days. And we were like, mm, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, cause you know, at 18, he wasn't going to be, we were paying for it. And if they thought he was ready to leave, that's who we were going on. It wasn't yeah. just because we wanted him to leave. They're like, no, I think he's, he's ready, but he does need sober living. Um, and then they brought up, well, what about hope is alive? And we were like, and what is this? Mm -hmm. So they told us about it and he had some interaction with somebody. Um, I gosh, I can't even remember who, I don't think it was Brett, but, um, he talked to somebody and then the the final, you know, like one of the last weeks he was there, he was like, I I think I want to do this. I think I want to go there. Because he knew he was going to have rules at our house either way. And yeah. it would be easier for them, honestly, to enforce them. Well, it allows you, it allows us to get to separate and not, you keep paying him accountable because you can't. Like, that would just continue to k- drive you crazy where that he's kept accountable with few, his peers, right? Yeah, and it was door to door. We went and picked him up and um, he got to come home. He t- took his car. He mm-hmm. got to see his dog. And then... He was off to Arlington, and we went over there, and um, Brett Mills was the program manager at the time, and we just, he was wonderful, and Josh instantly felt at home. There were actually, there was actually someone from Stonegate that he'd been in treatment with, and then there was somebody coming, like, after, like, a week later, um, and who's, Trevor, who's actually their program manager now, and so they were, um, he he, he felt at home kind of instantly, so that we felt like those were just other signs from God, like, okay, He's not there with really complete strangers. Mm-hmm. He's got some familiarity. And there he's been there now. And he has 14 months of sobriety okay. as of June 1st. So Well, good. Okay, so through all of this, you've mentioned a little bit about, like, your journey and all of that. But when did you realize, like, okay, that you might need your help for yourself and then what led you to start your own Finding Hope meeting and all that? Well, when he first went to um, to Stonegate, I like I said, I'm one of those. I got to start figuring out how to fix things. Mm-hmm. So he was where he needed to be, and then I'm like, I have no idea how to handle any of this. But one of my sweet friends that I had mentioned that led us to Stonegate mentioned Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to one of these meetings, and it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the people were lovely. They were so nice and helpful and answered questions and all. And we're talking like a week after 
This is all within the first week. So I probably jumped in a little fast. I don't know, but it just didn't feel like what I really wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I didn't know what I wanted at that point, other than for it to all be not happening. Because I I remember laying in bed crying one night and I just, my poor husband comes in. He's like, what happened? What's wrong? You know, and he knew, but I said, I just don't want to do this. I can't, I can't do this. And um, he's like, well, we're doing it, honey, you know. We're here. We're not, we can't change anything. So um, fast forward a little bit and um, have a sweet friend who I've worked with for many years and her son has been, was an addict and we had talked about it. And then when this happened with Josh, cause she, she's known Josh since fifth grade. Okay. And so when this happened, she was just devastated. She's like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I'm so sorry. You're having to go through this. I know how hard it is. And he was still a, pretty much an active addiction and had been. So we started talking, this was like in this past fall talking about HIA cause he was incarcerated at the time. And I'm like, you know what? Her son, right? her son. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, maybe, maybe he could get into the DFW house, you know? Yeah. And I said, I don't know, because they have, you know, there are some rules uh, um, that he would have to follow, but it sounds like he he's going to be clean. He was, you know, when he gets out, we assumed, because he was in his mid-30s. He wasn't, you know, a young kid. Well, he got out of jail, and unfortunately he overdosed a week later and died. Mm-hmm. And I just remember getting that phone call from her and just the horrible devastation in her voice and this was in November, the end of October, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And um, it just, I wanted so bad. It was like, I felt like I was trying to help her with the HIA, you know, information. But now she needed something completely different. And I had no idea. So that is when I was introduced to Cindy Bowling. Mm-hmm. And um, I was given her number. And I passed along to my friend and said, this lady will, will help you. She wasn't ready for that. Yeah. You know, there needed to be some time. But I also started thinking, I I know that they have a group. They have funding. I'm just getting, and I was on a plane heading to see one of my dear friends um, that lives in Pennsylvania. And I so I got on my computer and I was like, okay, I'm just going to look up a Finding Hope group in Texas. Well, there was one in Midland. <laughs> Not very close to you. <laughs> no, it's a little bit of a drive. I would have loved to have gone because, you know, Kelly's wonderful. But I was like, oh. And I saw your little become a leader button. So I pushed it and I filled out the information. And then I told my husband about it when I got home from my trip. (laughs) And he was like, okay, so you've already signed up to do this. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I said, it'll be fine. And then you and I talked and I went through the training and, and, um, and my friend who lost her son comes to my meetings and she has gotten to meet Cindy and, um, you know, and, and it's, It's been amazing. I mean, like, just the amount of people that walk up to me and tell me, oh, I have a blank that is in addiction or is an alcoholic. You know, and it just, it's, I have um, a big mouth. I've never kept a secret from anybody, probably, my whole life. And so Josh's journey has been very public, probably more than it should have been without his permission. But, like, even today, I texted him this morning, I'm like, I'm going on the podcast with Amy is there anything you don't want to say, say? And he said, say what you need to, Mom. And so he has gotten to that point, and he's sharing more himself now, too. Uh, bless his heart. He didn't really have the opportunity to keep it quiet. I just I feel like that's our biggest thing, and that's why I love Finding Hope is because it is you are not alone, you know? And and we've had ladies come from, you know, we have people that it's their kids, it's their spouse, it's it's their sibling, it's their parent who's in addiction, 
and all of this in my same group, it's, I feel like it's really been helpful, you know, and I get up there every week and I, I teach the little lessons that are, are amazing that you give given me. And we've had a couple speakers when I'm done. I always think, God, I just hope somebody got something out of that. And it never fails that I'll get a text. I'm like, this is exactly what I needed to hear this week. We just did the one on boundaries and that was a really, really good one. It was like, Oh, you know, it's kind of like, as I'm reading and doing the teaching the things, I'm just like, Oh, geez. I need and I to think do that's this. a good point to yeah. point out. Like, if you're out there and you're thinking, oh, we don't have, like you, there's not a finding hope there. I don't really want to do the Zoom, but I want to leave, but I don't feel like I have it all together. You don't have to know everything, no. you know, and you're learning probably. If I'm mistaken, please let me know. But a lot of the leaders learn as they're preparing and teaching. And they, I learn every time I, like this last week, I, I taught in two different groups this last week. And I learned something from somebody every single time. You know, and I've been doing this for eight years now, so. Well, yeah, and I will say that's, it, it is, I mean, because when I was going to start, I was so nervous, and I remember I talked to our, our pastor about using our church, and he is, he's so funny, he's like, he's like, okay, well, I have one question for you, because he's, he's been so incredibly supportive of finding hope, and hope is alive, and, um, and he said, but I have one question, are you scared? And I said, i uh, terrified. He goes, good. He goes, that means you're going to have to use God to get through this, wow. you know. And I was like, yes, you're right. And and that so every time, yeah, um, you know, when I'm looking at the lessons, I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't really know what this means. I got to, you know, kind of do a little bit of study. But, I, I mean, saying that, it is, if you are wanting to start a meeting, do it. Because, you know what, you learn from the people who come to your group and you just kind of are all in it together. I, I don't feel really like a, a leader. I'm more of just the facilitator. And I yeah. say that a lot now. I'm like, it's more of a facilitator right. role, you know? Yeah. So you're passionate about this. I can hear mm-hmm. it. I see it. Um, so why is why do you believe, why, if someone comes up to you, why why do I need recovery? I'm not the one using. What would you, Why is recovery so important for the f- whole family? I think it's just what I mentioned with the pride thing. Having to put that aside and realize we didn't do anything necessarily to make this happen to our loved one, but we may have had behaviors that didn't help it. And so I've had to learn and I'm learning it from the finding hope stuff. I'm learning it from Josh telling me stuff that he's learned in his, his codependency group. And um, just even knowing what the word codependent means, yeah. I had no idea. I'm like, what does that mean? That sounds and that's like one I'm, of those words people throw out and you don't yeah. really know what it means and you like you're supposed to but yeah yeah I'm like I don't think whatever that is I shouldn't should I be that should I not be that you know and and just I feel like we have to learn how to be supportive of the people we love and really what we're learning this is useful all in all parts of our life it's not just I'm I can do this so I can deal with people who struggle no I need to understand how this how am I enabling other people to behave a certain way no matter whether drugs and alcohol are involved or not, just in general. Absolutely. And, yeah, I'm glad, you know, people get to that point. I'm like, yeah, it's not just, it's mm-hmm. for life, all right? right. Um, we, we're learning tools. So if there's another mom out there listening right now, and maybe her son's or daughter is in the thick of it right now, what would you tell them? I would say find somebody. If you don't have a Finding Hope group and you aren't like, I don't want to start one, you've got to find somebody 
that understands because your best friend your whole life can be your best friend from your whole life. But if they have not walked this journey, it's hard to understand. And um, like with my friend, I said that, that just lost her son. We've talked about addiction with a, a lot. I didn't get it until we were talking about my son going through it, you know, and it's just, that's that whole thing that back to the finding hope, you're not alone. And that is the one thing that I always put on my, um, my Facebook page. I'm like, you will feel part of a family. Mm -hmm. And I have a few ladies that have, they tell me they're, Oh, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. And I'm like, you need to, because you will come one time and you will feel like, okay, these people get me. And the hardest thing for our loved ones and for us is taking that first step in, right? Getting past that pride and that shame and stepping in and realizing, oh, these people are just like me, you know, and connecting. And it is a family. I love my Finding Hope family. Mm -hmm. They are, I mean, even at the retreat, you know, you meet people from all over and get to connect. And it's just so fun to be able to have family who understands the ups and the downs and can celebrate. And I know, I uh, hope it's okay. I can say this. Oh, yeah. your son, I got to witness your son being baptized, Oh yes. you know, and like how we got to celebrate that. I got to celebrate, even though you weren't here, I was like, oh, I'm videotaping this for yeah. her. <laughs> um, you know, we get to celebrate that together, but then mm -hmm. we also get to pray when that relapse happens or they get in jail again. And that's that family because other people don't understand. A grandparent might not understand why you're not bailing them out of jail. Mm -hmm. They're in jail. That's your baby. You need to bail them out. Well, your Finding Hope family can strengthen you through that, those times. And so it is so important to be in that group and find your people mm -hmm. and see that you need it for yourself. And so, Kim, I like to, you know, obviously you listen, I like to end with a challenge. We do that at our lessons too. And as I'm listening, I was taking some notes. And um, first of all, before we get into that, I just want to say thank you and how proud I am of you and your family and how you guys have all taken in this recovery. And for Josh at the age of 18, that doesn't happen very often saying, I need help, mom, you know? And that you guys were able to get through, you know, that you had already saw, okay, he probably doesn't need to go back. Like God was preparing you, even though society a lot says you need to be at a four year college, you need to do this, you know, but God's plan's different and mm -hmm. we've got to trust that. And so, um, thank you. Thank you for leading Thank you for all that you do advocating on both sides, all, all around and being there for everybody. And so my challenge to everybody as um, we wrap this up is she talked about expectations just briefly, and but I wrote it down because I think that's huge that she said, we've got to let go of our expectations for our kids. And that's something I need to listen to. You know, I have three young kids and I think adult kids too, right? And we say a lot at Finding Hope, unrealistic expectations can lead to realistic disappointments. That's my first challenge is what expectations are you holding onto for your kids that you might need to just let go and be okay with? 
And then another one is that you said is find someone who understands. And I think you said that a couple of times. Talk about finding that person that you can open up with. Your best friend's there, but they don't understand. Unless they've been there where now you and your best friend do understand each other and can have that conversation. And so those are my challenges this week. Get plugged into a meeting. So thank you guys. Thank you, Kim, for being here, joining me this week. And you can learn more about Finding Hope at findinghope.today. And don't forget about the announcement I made to register for our two big events on August 8th, Celebration of Hope, and August 11th, Night of Hope. But before you go, I would love for you to give us a five-star review, share this on social media, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next hope-filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue, and our special guest, Kim, in this episode of Finding Hope. And remember, you are not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope.